Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. I bet you didn't know that inventing activity by black inventors peaked in 1899, and it has never recovered. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of white college graduates. That's just one of the reasons why you need to know about Invent Together. When our patent system gets more diverse, our nation will get stronger and more successful. Find out how you can help diverse inventors and unleash economic opportunity at inventtogether.org. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with GBA Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls, driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So if you are one of those listeners that's like a real stickler for sound quality, like when we knock things over or we rustle papers and like that just makes you bonkers – this may not be the show. For we're, Machi and I are both. Uh, we've had a bit of a day, so we've both had a bit of a day. So it's going to be one of those shows. I think we got it all. I think so, we got I mean, everything. Sometimes in, those are the best shows. Yes, I think we've got it all tight. If we've uh, we've got it mostly tightened up. Um, so uh, we've had a little bit of a long day, but we have nonetheless really good polling. And also, I want to give some shout outs to all the people out in the world who were. Connecting with the pollsters today. All kinds of pollster stuff out in the wild. My friend Erin said that she saw a gal reading the selfie vote in a Starbucks. We had our buddy Bruce send us a picture right. of you and me and John Del Volpe. That's right. An action shot of the three of us taping the live pollster show at Harvard. And my favorite one is the people who bonded on an airplane because one person had the pollsters on their phone. That's right. And the person next to them saw it and was like, I listened to that show. That's right. And they were amazing. And one was a Democrat and one was a Republican. Which is bipartisanship. I know, which is so cool. Everywhere. Wait, the last one was I was at the Capitol today and there some people walked by me and said, We love the pollsters. (gasps) Really? (laughs) Yes. So that was very cool. Yeah. So that was all that all happened like today. So so anyway, if you don't like paper rustling and clicking and you know the sounds of us. I feel like pollster nation is uh, That's okay, you know. they're, They're a kind group. Yes, content is king. Sound quality is, you know, after that somewhere. Um, Okay, so what are the top lines? You get a poll, and you get a poll, and you get a poll. We're going to start off this week's show with our poll of the week, polling on Oprah. Yes. And whether or not she would fare well in a 2020 matchup against President Trump. Obviously. Then we will talk about how President Trump is doing in terms of job approval. We talk every week about how stable his numbers are, but how stable does America think he is? Like a stable genius? A stable genius. We'll dive into the polls. Uh, Then, if you get a poll and you get a poll and you get a poll, what about you get a raise and you get a raise and you get a raise? Are people happy about the economy? And all of these stories about companies doing bonuses and raises and things, is it actually making a difference in people's perceptions of the economy? Then we will talk about binders full of women with STEM backgrounds and how women thrive or what their struggles are in the STEM fields. And then if we talked about it second to last, it'd be the pun ultimate poll of the show, <laughs> but we're saving it for last. I told you it was horrible. I told you it was horrible. We're going to look at polling on puns, the Ariel Edwards-Levy beat. 
you will want to stick around for it. Nice. That is good. So first, Oprah. I mean, people went completely bonkers for the Oprah speech of the Golden Globes. And I did not I did not watch in real time, but I saw the reactions and and people talking about how like, okay, well now she's obviously running. I'm like, well, what did she say? What did she say? And I watched him like well, she didn't quite say that she was running for president. Like, that seemed like quite a couple steps leaping from the speech to, like, Oprah 2020. But I was amazed at how many days the Oprah story went on. Like, it's still – like, people are still posting about it in my feed. I mean, it's it's fascinating. And, I, I mean, it's not a surprise because I've, you know, I, I've thought Oprah had a lot to – uh, help Democrats long before Obama, like just the, you know, her Oprah-ness when she was on, you know, had her daily show uh, on ABC was her daily show. Anyway, it so was. so uh, it was no surprise to me that people were ready, hungry for this moment and for leadership and Oprah was right there with exactly the right message. And of course, there was polling right away about it. Of course, there was new polling. Well, and there was already, I mean, I found... So I had to do the – because the way TV works is that people need to be available to go on television and talk about things, even if there's actually no new information to use. So I had to go on to do a segment about the Oprah thing. And so I just was digging up like any poll number I could have so that I could be the person who shows up to the discussion with some kind of fact <laughs> instead of just like, well, here's what I think. I mean, granted, here's what my Uber driver said. Here's what my, yeah, no, that's Tom Friedmaning. That's when you I ask cannot, your Uber driver. That makes me bonkers. Sorry. I cannot stand it. <laughs> There's nothing that like reinforces your out of touchness and using your Uber driver as your like <laughs> sign that you're you're in touch with people. But anyway, I sorry, but so I looked at the, the one number that I could find was Gallup does their who's the most admired man and woman of the year. And we had just talked about it like yep. a week ago on the show or yep. two weeks ago. And if you go back, I mean Gallup had it going back to nineteen ninety eight, but I would assume this actually holds Probably before 1998. Yeah. Oprah's not going anywhere. It is – no, it is Hillary Rodham Clinton. Every year, but I think 2002. I think Laura Bush takes it for like one year. Right. But during Bill Clinton's presidency, during all but one year of George W. Bush's presidency, during all of Barack Obama's presidency, Hillary Rodham Clinton, most admired woman in America. But Oprah is like in the hunt and she had fallen off in recent years. Like – you know, she gave up her daily right. show, and I think she just hadn't been as in the news. Right. But I would suspect she was always in our hearts, she's just ready to be hearts. activated. Um. So anyhow, she had she had declined in the who's the most admired woman, and had been trading off with Michelle Obama for the number two slot for a lot of the last couple of years. Wow. So that's my factoid. That's that's good. And there's also some recent polling from Rasmussen, and they show. That Oprah right now would beat Donald Trump in 2020. Trump, 38. Oprah, 48. 14% undecided. They need a little more information about Oprah and Donald Trump. Right now, 14% are undecided. And she gets more crossover appeal than Trump does among Democrats. 12% are voting for Trump, which honestly seems kind of high. I'm a little confused by that. 76% for Oprah. I mean, that seems a little something. And that only... I'm a, I'm a lot skeptical of any poll that doesn't have someone winning 80% of their own party. Right. Even if we're talking about Oprah. But I also can't lie what I wouldn't give to have someone – okay, dear dear pollsters listeners, 
<laughs> Pollsters Nation, if any of you have budget to do focus groups, money to burn, and you're curious, Margie and I would love to do some Oprah Republican focus groups oh, for you. God. I am dying to know what an Oprah Republican has to say about everything. That would be the most interesting 90 to 120 minutes ever. Ugh. So just throwing that out there in the universe, everybody. Yeah. I, I can I can throw it out there. Yeah, I yeah. want to know what an Oprah Republican is all about. Oh an Oprah Republican is gonna be a uh, you know, suburban, exurban, non coastal, white, college educated or some college woman who, you know, didn't vote for Hillary Clinton, thinks Donald Trump is not so good on the ladies. So maybe they're gonna be an Oprah Republican. I, I just thought, you know, Oprah, I don't think Oprah is partisan. And I think I would just love to do that focus group. Love it. <sighs> anyway, that's the poll of the week. We want more. We want more. We want more Oprah data. Hey, so, hey guess who Guess who we have as president of the United States, Margie? <sighs> Mr. 41%. We're almost at Mr. 40%. If you average it all going back over months and months and months, Mr. 40% will stick. I'm still trying to make this a thing, people. It's He's obviously not thing. listening to the pollsters, okay? He is not shouting out, hey, I love the pollsters, while we're cruising down the avenue, okay? No, I still have hope. I still have hope. Um, he has not – when are these media awards happening? Was that not – wasn't that supposed to be this week? Is it supposed to be tonight? Is this supposed know. to be in 30 minutes? I don't know. I think <laughs> Jose all right, we're gonna we're gonna do a live telecast. Uh, it's like yeah. Jose Andres is uh giving free drinks to whoever wins the fakest media award or something like that. Well, see, now that's a reason to do it. That's a reason to want to win. Yeah. Before I thought it was kind of, you know, all these late night comedians lobbying for it, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, la la la. But if there is Jose Andres food involved, yeah. That's good. Uh, that changes everything. So Okay, but so he's Mr. 41% yes. because the holidays, he basically golfed and kind of stayed out of the news for a while, and that's probably a good thing. And everybody's feeling pretty good about the economy, as we'll talk about later. So his numbers are, at the moment, looking good. This has been a little bit of a turbulent week, so we will see what we come back with next week. But you got to be pretty happy if you're the White House right now. To the extent that 41% is a number that makes you happy. The, you're looking for 37. whatever good news yeah. you can find. Um, if we are to believe any of the stuff that was in the Michael Wolf book, people are looking for whatever kind of good news to kind of tame the beast um, that they can find. And, and maybe being 41% is what you got. My favorite thing, by the way, of this whole is the Michael Wolf book legit or not drama is the Mark Berman Washington Post <laughs> breakfast thing. It's like Mark Berman and I went to UF at the same time. Like I, his his fraternity was like all of my buddies from the old high school debate days were in his fraternity. So I like, I, it's just, it is blowing my mind right now. Like I wish I could go back in time 14 years until like college sophomore Kristen. Like, by the way, there's, Donald Trump will be president. There will be a huge blockbuster book about him. And one of the big things that will be used to debunk <laughs> this book is the fact that Mark Berman did not have breakfast at the Four Seasons. Oh, my God. You like, uh, what are you talking I would about? Have, I would have thought I was – Like talking to an alien. Talking to an alien. Yeah, no, I liked his tweet. Like, can I use this book as – can I submit this book for expenses? <laughs> Four Seasons Breakfast is very fancy. I've, yes. I've I've never gone on my own because they have free valet parking. It's actually supposed to be an extremely convenient fancy brunch location on weekdays for someone like me who has to drive around to work. Yeah. So – 
That was a really obnoxious hashtag. This no, town no, observation. It's not. I'm just saying, you know, it's not a regular stop for me because it's too fancy. Yeah. No. When you're there, you're like, this is you know, this is not my usual haunt. It's I'm very happy to be here. This is not where <laughs> I usually go. Right. It's you know, unless you're. We should just start one going, Margie. We should start making it. It's a on thing the other side of town for me. I know it's on the other side of town for me too. It would take me about forty five minutes to get the like. 1.6 miles yeah from my house yeah it. it's on the other side of it's the other side of the, the road for me but um so anyway he's a mr 41 percent you know that said he uh, there's been some interesting analysis i think this was charles a charles franklin joint here where uh they look he looked at all these different demographic groups and how people have changed according to the gallup weekly tracking i guess they're not going to release this polling data weekly anymore. These cross tabs will be monthly, but this is still here for us to look at from 17. And there's no group that he increased his approval rating with, not one. So it's just a question of how much did he drop with each group. Yes. And so one of, so there are two really interesting charts that we, we can link to in show notes, or if you go to at polls and votes on Twitter, he's got a whole thread with all of these charts. And the first chart is, okay, how much where did people start on approval and where did people end on approval? And that chart, you know, the the rankings of where everybody stands, you know, you have conservative Republicans. They started off at 92% approval and fell by seven points. You have just standard Republican, standard conservative. They fell by seven points, five percent. Um, then he has a chart where he looks at the change in approval by group. And the least amount of change comes from like liberals, liberal right. Democrats, Democrats, um, because they're already at the floor. There was nowhere to go. Where are you going to go? And, cons- you know, conser- it's a mix of Democrats and then like conservative Republicans right. where they've been pretty sticky. The people who have moved the most, liberal, moderate Republicans, moderates, folks with very low incomes and folks with fairly middle class incomes, age 18 to 29, uh, conservative Democrats, like middle of the road. Democrats, that's where, which you would expect, that's going to be the groups yep. that are going to be the most movable to begin with. But like that's where, it's not that he's lost a ton of support among conservatives, conservative Republicans. It's that he's losing support among the folks in the middle that were like, let's give this guy a chance. Right. And part of that is, um, you know, when we, oh, and by the way, this is, if you look at the first eight months of 2017, so that's that chart we were just talking about, where most of his support in the first eight months of 2017 were lost among these moderates and independents. Then he looks at the last four months of 2017 and where his approval changed the most. And in the last four months, he shows his approval increasing the most among Latinos and age 18 to 29, which is really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So okay. if you're the Trump administration, I mean, obviously we've talked a bajillion, and that's a scientific figure, a bajillion times about how poorly the president has done with younger voters. But something in the last half of the year boosted him a little bit with young people. Again, if you're the White House and you're looking for bright spots. Yeah, you just, lop up, you just show this slide only and not yeah. any of the others. Yeah, I mean, look. I, it could be something about that final week. It could be something about that kind of end of the year where there was a little bit of an improvement, maybe. Um, we shall see. We shall see. I mean, look, 
what it's what's still true is that his overall numbers, whether there's been some movement one direction or another, they're not good. I mean, there's no way to get around it. I mean, there was the Quinnipiac poll that came out that the president tweeted a bunch about the economic numbers, which we're going to talk about, but it still shows tough, tough numbers on his mental state. Well, and this is even in the exit polls on election night in 2016, you had – People, a lot of people saying like two thirds. I don't think he's qualified. Yeah, I, mean, or I don't not, think he's fit for office. But I voted for him anyways yeah. because I don't like Hillary Clinton or whatever the answer is. So I was really fascinated when we sat down to tape this show. We pulled up our script and I looked at this chart, which is Quinnipiac's numbers of would you say that Donald Trump is intelligent or not? Going back to election day, before you know, late 2016, all the way through till now. And I, I guess now you hear so many people thinking like, uh, you know, you just, you know that Donald Trump's approval rating is so low. You know that he started with an approval rating that was really low. So it's fascinating to me that on this question, on November 22nd, 2016, Quinnipiac asks people, would you say that Donald Trump is intelligent or not? 74% said yes. Um, is this a subgroup? I mean, I'm, I, and I'm not, yeah. this is not me trying to make a comment on the actual intelligence of the president. It's like a, it is hard for me to wrap my mind around the idea. Podcast co-host says president. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Nope. I'm on the front car. No, no, no. I'm, I am, hey, I am questioning the veracity of a poll here, which should totally be in the wheelhouse of, you know, people who think polls are fake news. I, I I'm, I am. I am not making a statement on what my personal opinion is about the intelligence of the president. I am making a comment on the partisan polarization of America and the fact that it is hard for me to fathom that you had what must have been a significant portion of Democrats shortly after the election. Emotions are raw. Everyone's really angry. The wounds are open. That You have that many people saying, yeah, I think Donald Trump is right because you don't get that to those numbers to is without is some like, Democrats. Yeah. Huh. Really? Well, that's interesting. And so on the question of is Donald Trump level-headed or not? Wait, before we go to that, my I, hypothesis is, and we heard that, we've heard this in focus groups, like, well, he's rich, he's wealthy, you don't get to be wealthy or get to be president without having some smarts. Absolutely. Right? So that's, Absolutely. I think, where some of that comes from, where you can say, I don't think he's, you know, stable, which is clear, that's where the data take, you know, that's the data shows some consistency there. Um, but feel, well, he must be smart, even if he doesn't have the right temperament. There's a method to I the madness. It's crazy yes. as a fox. Right. right. But over time, perhaps, they're like, well, maybe this is not actually three-dimensional chess. It's, yes. Or it's, whatever. Uh, would you say Donald Trump is intelligent or not? 53% say yes. Still. To this day. Right. So there is still, that is a prevalent belief. On the other hand, would you say Donald Trump is level-headed or not? 28% say yes. So big gap there, but that gap has shrunk a bit as fewer people have said yes to the is Donald Trump intelligent question. Right. And there's been a lot less change in the level-headed question over time than there's been in the is he smart. So in November, 38% said he's level-headed. Now it's 28%. So that's a much smaller gap than it is with the intelligent question. Yes. So on the question of does America think the president is a stable genius, half might say 
genius. Genius is a strong word, but half would say he's intelligent, uh, but stable. Stable has never been in a so way unstable. Maybe smart. Well, we, I mean, I'm sure if you go back and listen to episodes that we taped right. a year and a half ago, we we were talking about voters think Donald Trump is unstable, but right. some think that's a good thing. Right. Right? right. So it's just because you know, level headed for some voters might not be a good thing. Uh, before we move on, by the way, from the uh, Wolf book discussion, something that we didn't have in our script, but I want to bring up mm-hmm. is uh, I took to Twitter this week in defense of former The Pollsters guest host, Kellyanne Conway. Mm. Did you see this, Margie? No, so, I didn't. So there is a part of Wolf's book that I only saw because I forget who – oh, it was Brad Parscale, the digital strategist right. for the campaign – was tweeting out pages of the book and debunking them. So there's a whole page that talks about how the day of the election, before they knew who was going to win, oh, the RNC was calling people saying it's not our fault, it's Trump campaign. Oh, the Trump campaign's calling people saying it's not our fault, it's the RNC. I will decline to comment on my perceptions of the veracity of that. Right. All I will say is perhaps you should go back and listen to the episode where I'm a Corona tall boy deep and I haven't slept in 48 hours. Right. And I'm confessionaling. Yes. Um, <laughs> so go back, listen to that episode. Yes. But at the bottom of the page, Wolf starts describing Kellyanne Conway as a small time pollster oh, yeah, that's right. who was who was like a C-list pollster who right. never worked on a national race before and I thought okay we need to pump the brakes here we have been critical of Kellyanne on this show when we think that polls are being misrepresented by the White House um even though she was a guest host you know we call him like we see him um you know, bef- I, I, Kellyanne and I at the Republican convention were on a panel together, very friendly. I mean, I, I, you know, despite all that has happened in my vast disagreements with where she and I stand on the administration, I, I feel like it's insanely wrong to define her as uh, a small time pollster. Yes, I heard never that. worked You're on right. a national I race. I when have- I was a, a junior munchkin pollster, I was assisting on major national corporate projects where my firm was partnered with Kellyanne's firm and she was giving big presentations to big time people. And this was in mid 2000s, at which point she had been a pollster in the business for a long time. And I, my firm was one of the firms that did polling. When I say my firm, like the firm where I worked, did polling on Newt Gingrich's 2012 race. And we swapped off states with Kellyanne. Right. She was one of his you know, top spokespeople on yeah. Air. yeah. So if you want to call a pollster who has worked on presidential campaigns and has advised governors and senators and congressmen and think tanks, a small-time pollster, like, I don't know what to tell you. So that just, like, bothered me. I know it, there were a lot of people who were like, why are you defending Kellyanne? She doesn't deserve to... No, she does. Anybody that comes after, especially, I think, a woman in our industry and claims, oh, her record is nothing, like... That's baloney. That's garbage. Okay, rant over. No, no, you're right. Uh, You know, I did hear that. I've been listening to the book. So one of my kids is sick and he's been like up all night, you know, being sick as kids do. And for some reason, I thought a good way to kind of get through the pain (laughs) of having a sick kid is to also listen to the Michael Wolf book all night long, which let's just say I don't recommend that particular cocktail if you want to, you know, 
be at your sort of top top fighting strength emotionally that's not a good combination anyway but i remember now i now remember in my haze hearing that part I remember thinking i don't think that sounds right but not enough to go to twitter so i think that's i think that's a fair critique but it did not make it into the like list of three or four things everybody's critiquing him yes on. it made it into ben dominich at the federalist it made it into mm. his his critique of the book and I will add. Megan McCain really like stuck it to him. Was that today or was that yesterday? But anyway. High five, Megan. Yeah, that was good. But the other thing that uh, I enjoy is um, there has been discussion that uh, Kellyanne Conway's husband, George Conway, who lots of people, even those who dislike the administration, have a very high opinion of him. He has a Twitter account and will periodically tweet things. It's not verified. But I mean, it is is him. Um, And... I tweeted my thing like, no, she worked on presidential campaigns. And a reporter, I believe from time, from some like major outlet was like, what national campaigns has she worked on? I know she was a strategist, but was she a pollster? And I went and I'm Googling the FEC reports because I'm like, this is, this will take me 15 seconds to debunk this. And all of a sudden the like at GT Conway three <laughs> just writes, just all he, all he posts is a link to the FEC like <laughs> report. That's all it was. It was nothing. Because, and it was the link to what I have talked about on this show before, which is the Gingrich 2012 campaign's right. debt obligations that they never paid. So uh, that uh, seeing that tweet, I was like... <laughs> Somebody's, somebody is monitoring. I was like, Chris, if ever someone is questioning my career credentials and someone has bills due to Echelon and it is public record... This is how I would like you to respond on Twitter. This would be to the haters and the doubters. This is what I would love. So, (laughs) Um, yeah. So that's pretty funny. Um, All right, back onto the polls. Sorry, that was a massive digression. But it's Google your own thing, people. Come on, Google your own stuff. Anyway, it took me fifteen seconds. Fifteen seconds to find the FEC reports. It's (sighs) not hard because their website's actually really easy to use. So uh, whatever, Kellyanne's previous life as pollster to national campaigns it is not changing the president's uh interpretation of polling data um so he's been out tweeting that the quinnipiac numbers are fantastic um and they are you know i mean it's this interesting situation where the economic numbers are not bad right or they have improved at least in terms of intensity over the last year you have now 18% saying they feel the nation's economy is excellent um that's an improvement you have fewer now saying it's poor 11% compared to the end of november of last year his tweet was quinnipiac says 66% of americans say the economy is good or excellent which is true. That is what the number says. And that is a dramatic improvement from Election Day. However, half of Americans say that Obama is more responsible for the current state of the economy than Trump. Um, and it's always been true. I guess I look at all these numbers over the so last glass year. glass half full. I keep – see, someone posted a comment that they think that our show is uh, – Margie and I agree too much. Yes. And I've been very candid about where I stand on – a variety of political issues, but I I, I am today trying to make my sure clear, to rep and I have my like pet like... issues that are quite clear. Anyway, yes. <laughs> so the glass half full. I keep saying this. I'm looking for like if I'm the Trump folks, what's the glass half full interpretation? Back in March, sixty seven percent of people said Obama is most responsible for the economy. And then it was still fairly divided between excellent and good. A slight majority said excellent and good. Right. But as tr- 
responsibility for the economy has increased for Trump. It's still not a majority, but it's gone up a lot since he took office. I mean, which is fair. We expect, right? Because he is more responsible for the economy now than he was it, 12 months ago. And the question is neutral. Who is responsible for the current state of the economy? It doesn't say good or bad. It's a good question. It's yeah, it doesn't like say a neutral. who's responsible for the economic growth. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I think this is a good – it is – he tweeted a number from a credible pollster in an honest way. Did it include the other question that says more people are giving Obama credit? No. Did but it, like, What about the fact that most people think he's not level-headed and then fewer people think that he's you smart? Know, he doesn't have to tweet the whole poll. Uh, that's fine. That's It's a credible yeah. number from a credible poll, Margie. Right. My <laughs> bar is so low right now. It's not like monkeymanpolls.com. <laughs> Which is typically how we end our show. But at least we're up front about Credit Donkey. <laughs> Credit Donkey. Yeah. So anyway, so that's the Quinnipiac for you. And then if like looking at the economy is kind of too policy and you want to go back to like the political morning console and Politico have you covered as always with their polling on the political what's happening and they asked a variety of questions i mean it just shows how crazy everything is where they ask these questions i mean it's you know not even a year and it was presidency about uh how likely do you think these things are to happen in 2018 trump is cleared of wrongdoing by the special prosecutor or members of trump's family are indicted on criminal charges or president trump leaves office these are three different questions and you know you don't have majorities that say – well, you do have about half that say he's cleared of wrongdoing and you don't ha- – and you have half instead who say it's not likely that his family will be indicted on criminal charges or that he leaves office. But it's not like it's – I mean, people are divided, you know. This is not – I would say at this point, the – Quinnipiac poll number, which we didn't talk about, was the generic ballot number, um, which we we don't have to dive into yeah. it big today. We can save this for a future week. But the uh, it's D plus seventeen, if I'm not mistaken. That's what I saw on Twitter today. Um, so if we are really talking D plus seventeen, I mean, the fact that you only have nineteen percent who say it's very likely for Democrats to win control of House of Representatives. I mean, if we're talking D plus 17 four months from now, yikes. Yeah, those are those two Long other way questions. To go. Glass half full hat on. Glass half full hat on. Long way to go. You know, what's interesting is that, the, so, you know, in addition to the three questions about like, oh, like, is Trump in trouble kind of questions, then there are two questions. Well, how likely are these to happen? Democrats will win control of the House. Democrats will win control of the Senate. You basically have the same numbers for both those, and, which is like, it's kind of funny, right? Because, I mean, this is what happens when you ask like a political question to voters where they're like, why are, Why would this be any different? Why? These are the same, you know? It'd be like if somebody came to me and was like, Kristen, what do you think the likelihood is that this year uh, the New York Rangers are going to win the Stanley <laughs> Cup? And I'd be like, um, somewhat likely? Somewhat likely? Somewhat unlikely. I don't know. I'm just picking an answer in the middle. But I don't want to say don't know because then I – totally out that I don't know that much about hockey, but so I'll say somewhat likely. Okay. Like, I feel like there are probably a lot of people approaching these, like, 
is the Trump family going to get indicted? Uh, well, how maybe. It, right. I mean, I don't know. Right. <laughs> and, and like, what's the difference in the chance between the House and the Senate? Like, I mean, that's an insider question. That is not a regular voter question. But we all want to know what people think. And so yeah, that's where like the percentage of people who are like, oh, man, Heidi Heitkamp is actually not facing any really strong Republican challenger anymore. Like, that's a... No, well, it's pollster nation now, and like that's but, it. right, right. So that is not that is not like what I mean. Remember, and I've talked about this before, but we did Walmart moms focus groups in Iowa. In I guess it was fourteen, so it was a midterm, and we were like, okay. You know, we wanted to know, like, are you going to vote for a Senate based on how who you want to have control of the Senate? And um, so we're like, okay, well, let's just get a level set first. And which party is in control of the House? And which party is in control of the Senate? Who are the people in charge of the House? Who are the people in charge of the Senate? People are like, hmm. is that the one with, like, the seven people or the nine people? We're like, no. I'm like, um... Is it that guy on the news? We're like, maybe. You know, so, like, you know, so, is it that guy on the news? Um, anybody else? <laughs> Anyone else? Okay. So, as you may know, so, so you know, people just their information is pretty low. So, if they're not really sure who's in charge of the Senate, they're not going to be sure. They're not going to really know what the map looks like, what the odds are, how they're different, what it means in one state versus another, how close in control the House and Senate are, you know, all these kinds of questions. So while it's interesting, since we are interested in this topic, the who's going to control the House and Senate, asking people what they, how they handicap is really not like asking how they vote, how they would vote is in the generic is yeah, one thing. How do you think your neighbors will vote is a really interesting question. But like, a- what do you think is going to happen nationally? Like, you know, it, it, like you have a thousand Charlie Cooks is not, it's not quite, or Amy Walters, you know, it's not quite. Um, I feel like a world with a thousand Amy Walters would be kind of awesome. And I would to go to there. <laughs> I would go to there. I know. That would, <laughs> that would be great. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> That's true. Hi, Amy. Been. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. That would be fantastic. <laughs> That's true. Um, and the pollsters would be the number one podcast. <laughs> um, okay. So anyway, so that's – that's what's going on in the world of how people are viewing the political climate. But there, of course, there's a lot of stuff out on the ladies. The ladies are still in the news. Uh, the hashtag Me Too movement has now become the hashtag Time's Up movement. I like Time's Up. I'm here for it. Yeah. I, I like it. Uh, I felt completely superficial that I was like, I'm glad everyone is wearing black dresses at the Golden Globes. But I really love it when they're all wearing pretty colorful dresses. I'm mm. like, oh, wow. This is like an atrophied part of my brain that is active right Really? Because I was like, oh, well, like, isn't this – like, of course you oh, want to wear black. Fabulous. Like, I, you know. It made me want to go get a really fabulous That's not a fabulous This is a reward of, to wear black. Right? Oh, that's, that's true. That's well, mine. it also made me want to get a really fabulous pair of, like, enormous emerald earrings. Because I would – I think, like, half of the women, like, that's how they got their color in. Mm. Was like, okay, I'm going to wear a black dress. I'm going to wear these – 
amazing emerald earrings. Mm, that's a good look. Yeah. That's a good look. No, that is good. That is good. I think Angelina Jolie wore that kind of a look to something in 2009. This is the intellectual content I know you all are here for. Yes. Angelina Jolie's earrings and my recollection. Of I them. can feel women's rights just sort of expanding. can't remember where I put my keys this morning, <laughs> but I can tell you what earrings Angelina Jolie wore to an awards it's show clearly in 2008. Clearly, I can feel women's equality just like happening in real time as a result. Um, so there's been a lot of stuff out here. So Gallup had a question that I thought was pretty interesting where they said, how do you feel are you satisfied or dissatisfied with the position of women in the U.S.? Um, more people are dissatisfied than now than in 2008, the last time they asked us. So in 10 years, you had a jump in dissatisfaction from 26 to 37. That came completely from Democrats. No change among Republicans. No change at all. Nothing. So I Zip. love my favorite thing in the polling world is a good trend line where you have asked a question the same way over the years and you can look at how opinion has changed because numbers in isolation are fine but if you can see that like the public has genuinely moved on something i think that is very cool and it is yeah i mean 2008 barack obama the year he gets elected i mean this is only 38 percent of democratic women that year were very or somewhat dissatisfied with the position of women in the u.s but you fast forward 10 years 62 percent and i wonder have have things objectively gotten worse for women in 10 years? Or is it that it is more top of mind now because we just had the first woman nominated by a major political party who did not win against Donald Trump with all of that baggage plus Me Too? Like, is it is it that the status of women has gotten worse or is it that we are now more aware of it and more comfortable expressing when I say we, I mean women generally, even though I see that for Republican women it hasn't moved. Like how much of this was election related? So, it, right, it could very well be. That would like, explain why for Republican women it hasn't moved. Right, because for sure Democratic women are just going bonkers out there, right? I mean, that's we've talked about that. I've seen it in polls. I know you could see it in national trends. I've seen it in local trends where Democratic women are like, you know, are, are out are out in the streets literally and figuratively and you see that in this polling although it's not just women democratic women democratic men too um and no republican women and so some of that is a reaction to like trump and anger over like having to relitigate birth control and whether it's safe to you know be in the office without someone touching you and all these things right so um so i you know i think that there there's definitely some of that re and and it's hard to tease those things apart too. Like, have they objectively gotten worse or is it just the like pressure of the campaign and the election when that is also part of the climate? That, that too is part of how things have gotten worse. It's not just about equal pay or your ability to advance your job, although that's obviously very important. And that, that was the briefing I did this morning. People, you know, where you have a lot of women who feel, uh, that just a l lack of respect at work is one of the biggest challenges they face. I mean, that's very much a real, a real concern. Um, so is it that or is it the fact that you have this president who's so odious for women, at least from a Democratic women perspective, that, that they, that that is what makes them feel the pressure? So I, I don't know. Um, I will say one other thing, too, which is when you have these kind of broader climate shorthand items 
I'm not criticizing the question. I'm just noting a difference here. If you're talking about like the role of women or feminism or sexism or gender discrimination, and you're using those phrases, they are partisan cues that kind of make people go into their corner. If you are talking about, should there be equal pay for equal work? Or should women be treated with respect? Or is it hard to, you know, should it be easier for women to report sexual harassment? You see party differences you know, dissolve a lot more than if you're using these kind of like buzz buzzwords that are important shorthands, but they have a cue to them that makes people sort of in their partisan put the jersey put their jersey on. So there's some polling that uh, Pew Research Center has done specifically looking at women in STEM and non-STEM jobs, sort of comparing and contrasting um, about different uh, issues faced in the workplace. And this was really fascinating to me because I have long believed that, I mean, there's all, you know, there's all this stuff that says the pay gap is, you know, 77 cents on a dollar and all that, but it varies from industry to industry. And I've always thought, you know, one of the ways you could address this is get more women in these jobs that are paying a lot. Like a, the job of petroleum engineer pays a ton. And so if right. guys are doing it and women aren't, well, that's going to contribute to this sort of global pay gap. So my my belief has been, well, if you have more women in STEM jobs, that's something that would help address this, like, overall gap. Mm -hmm. um, but women in STEM jobs don't just, like, have it so easy either. Um, so here they asked, uh, have you ever experienced any of the following types of discrimination at work? Have you ever earned less than a man or woman uh, – so, have you ever earned less than a man doing the same job? And it is five points higher among women in STEM jobs than women in non-STEM jobs. Mm -hmm. um, the question of, were you treated as if you were not competent because of your gender? 29% of women in STEM jobs say yes, compared to only 22% of women in non-STEM jobs. So, look, I am, this is one of my things where I, I'm critical of the administration, but I'm like, I'm glad that Ivanka Trump is focused on this, like, let's get more women in STEM jobs stuff. But even just getting more women in STEM positions does not solve everything. It's not magic. It's not magic if women are getting to those positions and they're finding even more, oh, well, you're a woman, you're not, you're not competent. I mean, the other thing, so I mean, there are a couple different things that struck me from this Pew study, and there's a lot in there, and folks should take a look at it. And one is that the gender mix at the STEM job matters too. So it's not just STEM or non-STEM. If you are at a STEM job that is more male-dominated, you're going to feel more gender discrimination than if you're at a STEM job that is not as male-dominated. So that's an important consideration. Um you know, the other thing that is worth noting is the differences for women of color versus white women. Again, and this is something, again, it was my briefing that I did this morning, but if you, you know, the, the challenges that women face are particularly magnified in communities of color. If we, and I know a lot of women are working to not do this, but, you know, to the extent that sort of Me Too, Time's Up, et cetera, is seen as like an elite feminist kind of thing, that is not reflective of where women are really feeling the pressure because women in communities of color are really feeling even more serious challenges and obstacles than white women. Yep. And it was, you know, for those in computer jobs, 
Uh, in particular, you know, if, if we're looking at the different industries, I mean, we've, I think we talked on the show a couple months ago about a study that showed like what the gender balance was in different industries within the STEM world. And there were things like the field of psychology, and that was actually a very female heavy mm-hmm. field or nursing. That's a STEM career that was very female heavy where something like, again, like, I mean, petroleum engineers, just right. one that I've seen used as an example, but things like software engineering and stuff was very, very male, male dominated. Um, and in among those in computer jobs, women are much more likely than men to discriminate, uh, experience discrimination at work. On the question of have you ever experienced any gender discrimination? I mean, 74% of women in computer jobs say yes. Um, 64% of them feel the need to prove themselves at work all or some of the time. And I think I'm really glad that question got asked. This was something that this is a this is a polling related digression um that I have wondered recently. So, you know, in the work that we do, we have clients that some clients they're like, "You're the pollster, you're the expert. You do your thing. Here's what I want to learn. You do whatever you need to do to teach me what I need to learn." And there will be other clients that really want to know Right. In depth, every detail. What's the response rate on your survey? Blah, 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 blah. And I, look, I don't begrudge a client for being a thoughtful consumer and wanting those things. But I will admit that there are times when I'm like, hmm, if I was a 60 year old guy, would my client be pressing me as much to explain every little detail about every little decision that I have made that has gone into this project? And I don't know. This is like, am I hallucinating sexism where it doesn't exist? Possibly. But I can't say that the question doesn't cross my mind that sometimes I'm like, would this client, would this person be not yep. questioning like like in a bad, like, oh, I think you're wrong. It, they're asking, I am a smart consumer of polling questions. I don't begrudge them and I answer them and it's fine. But I, it, there is this thing nagging in the back of my head like, if I was... No, you would not get that question. <laughs> okay, well, you've made me feel Nag- less crazy about this, like, voice nagging, nagging voice no longer. I mean, I once did a pitch, and this was a while ago, and I was younger, but it's a good psych 101 experiment to the extent you can do this without actually doing it because there was another person pitching the same group at the same time, a guy who was the same age as me. And we both kind of looked like – and neither of us looked like particularly old for our age. We both sort of looked young at that point. This was a long time ago. Moving age is a variable. So we were moving age is a variable. It was gender and it was the same group of people pitching them on the same – like different – he was doing a different – thing than me and I was he was not a pollster but we're still pitching the same thing and he I was asked what I majored in in college and he was not and I was like so really yeah I mean it was it wasn't like two years ago I was younger but still uh, you know I I mean I wasn't much I was you know not much younger than you um so that was one and then there was another one where I was asked in a pitch like how are you going to handle a room of men in a focus moderating a focus group Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, I know. And then the downside was then like I'm in the group – when I get, I got the project, I'm moderating the group of men. Like I felt like I had to kind of overcorrect and sort of like 
beat these men down to a submission because everyone in the back room, also a room full of men in the back room, were like looking to see if I could handle it. I understand that listeners can't see me right now, but my jaw just unhinged like a python trying to eat a (laughs) rabbit. Like I'm like my jaw is. Yeah. No, it's, you know. I'm going to abuse the word literally, but my jaw is literally on the floor right now. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. But, it, but like, yeah, no, it's, but on the other hand, I'm not surprised. No. Like, I'm, I'm, I am aghast I mean, that it happened, but I'm also. I wish I could tell you that was the worst thing that anybody's ever said. It's oh, not, but it's, but sure it's, it's but it is like f- fine enough for today's, but for I today's just, lesson. Was, fine seeing enough. that listed in this poll, the, feeling the need to prove themselves yeah. at work. All of the time. No, that came up in the in the totally business forward. It came up in the business forward poll too. Although I mean, a majority of men also say they feel the need to prove themselves at work all the time, but for women, it's higher. Well, I mean, it's also worth noting as a reminder here: experiencing sexual harassment at work is lower in terms of things that people have experienced compared to some of this other stuff. So again, it doesn't mean that sexual harassment is not a problem, or that people don't think it's pervasive, or that they don't think we should do something about it. Because all those things are also true, but it doesn't mean that it is the number one challenge that women are facing in the workforce. We see that in this Pew poll, um, and it, I, we saw it in the poll that you know I did with Chris. Matthew. So it's um it's definitely a good reminder. Wrapping up. Yes. It is not our penultimate poll. <laughs> it's our ultimate poll. <laughs> oh, it was terrible. I should not have gone back to that well again. I should have just let it go. We should just leave uh, this to the master or the mistress yes, of Ariel Edwards Levy. How do you feel? About puns. Our friends at YouGov asked, 21% of people say, I love puns. 38% say, I like puns. It was strong. 59% of majority say, are, are fave on puns. I dislike puns, seven. I hate puns, three. Who are you? Why would you hate puns? Why do you hate happiness? <laughs> and then 31%, not sure. <laughs> well, that's Which actually is quite a high. Totally reasonable position to hold, uh, and it seems as though puns is kind of a selfie vote thing. So, I love puns. Three out of uh, three out of ten millennials. I love puns. Why are millennials ruining puns? <laughs> they're not ruining puns. They're making puns a thing. Why are millennials? Uh, I like puns. Forcing us to listen to puns. Stable across the generations. Not sure. Fifty-five and up. 35% don't know what a pun is. Only 21%. See, millennials are much more likely to know what a pun is and feel favorably about it. Well, that's not really the question. Hatred if of you're puns not is sure like how you feel, not that you're not sure what a pun is. But Oh, that's true. That's you're you just say like it depends. I don't know, you know, you can't There are good puns and there are bad puns. Yeah, it's not, you know, it's Ariel like, Edwards Levy, she's she's got a high batting average on this. That's true. So, uh at Logan Dobson I'm bitter at Logan right now because he's taking my <laughs> Jesse, my right hand gal at Echelon. Oh no! So, oh, this is also um, pollsters, listeners. If any of you would like to come be my right hand, oh, I'm we're hiring also guy or gal. Well, I was going to say I saw you post yes job posting. We should have put that the up pollsters. at the top. We really should have. <laughs> well, no, now we'll know. Only the people that like oh. listen all the way through the show. Oops, right. The secret Good. code word is Shamrock. <laughs> Find a way to That's mention right. it in your interview and we'll know that you are a listener. Uh, so I need a new right-hand guy or gal. You yes. are hiring a GBA. Yes, we're hiring a GBA, a research associate, yes. But at Logan Dobson, um, A, mm. quit stealing my staff, and B, sometimes your puns, sometimes they're excellent. You have a wider 
Ariel, she's her, she's more consistent in her yeah quality punnage. Right, she's at the you know. No offense, Logan. Top, we love you, but 1%. I'm a little bitter at you this week. So I <laughs> love. No, that's fair. That's fair. So I I love this other question that they ask. This is YouGov, um, and so they ask: Thinking of the last times you found some kind of comedy really funny, what kind of jokes would you say they were? <laughs> Which is, you know, it's so hard because, I mean, these these are pretty broad categories. Observations on daily life, that's the number one. Um, observations on news and current affairs, wordplay, controversial or taboo subjects, impressions, or funny slash surreal sketches. Which, I, I mean, these are all, it's really, it's hard to say, right? I mean, these are kind of hard. I mean, I guess you can answer this, but observations on everyday life, I mean, is so it could be anything, right? I mean, it's not mutually exclusive with some of these other things. But people who like puns are particularly like more likely to like wordplay than people who hate puns. People who hate puns, it doesn't seem like they like any of these other categories. They just don't like humor. They don't like any of these categories relative to people who like puns, like all these other types of comedy more. But wordplay, especially. So I, did, I don't know if you've ever seen the documentary Spellbound about the kids who go and do a spelling bee. No. It's from like maybe 15 years ago, something like that, okay. 10 years ago. It was really... I, it, there was a real, there was a whole, there was a lot that kind of choked me up. I'm uh, still thinking about it, but there was one of the girls who uh, was one of the final contestants, and her mom was like really enthusiastic, and she and and she did this like completely with an irony, like totally earnestly. She's like, I also, I like her daughter was some kind of whiz kid. She's like, I also really like jokes about words and like playing around with words. Like for example, I have this notepad that says, you know be kind and I had a bumblebee and it said be so sweet but but not like sophisticated like you know wordplay to the extent that maybe I don't know her daughter who's spelling like 10 syllable words like by just <laughs> writing an invisible ink on a card is like able to do at like age eight or whatever it was so but it was so there was something about it that I found endearing still to this day so when I see when I saw this wordplay I thought about that I that about that bee mom um, from Spellbound. So key findings: Oprah more like Gopra. I'm want to see some more data. <laughs> and although Mr. Forty One Percent, you know, maybe good news uh, after losing ground with every single demographic. Maybe there's only one direction to go. On the other hand, his numbers on being unstable are. Stable, um, and in all your Me Too talk, remember all the other challenges women face at work, and polls show people prefer everyday observations about life. No wonder you like the pollsters. And you can find the pollsters on Twitter at, at the pollsters. Individually, we are at Margie O'Meara and at K. Soltis Anderson. Find us at www.thepolsters.com or on Facebook, where we have a thriving Pollster Nation community that Woo-hoo. weighs in on the stories we might talk about that upcoming week. Thanks. Bye.